um, have that passage open before you in James chapter 4. Um, I uh, apologise that you have no outline in your sheet. Um, I have no PowerPoint. I have no visual pictures to aid your memory to the points that we make tonight. Um, that's how disorganised I've been this week. Um, but I trust... Uh, God will enable us to, to listen and, and, uh, and learn and be challenged by what we look at this evening. Now, it was back in the first Sunday of January that we started looking at James. Uh, first Sunday of the new year. Um, I want to kick that off. It, it doesn't seem so far back, but that's when it was. Um, and you remember, we were then looking at the first three chapters of James. It was the two Timothy two group guys were charged with the with doing that and um, two, two guys are going to carry on through chapters 4 and 5 uh, although Nick has gone to drastic lengths to uh, <laughs> excuse himself I think moving house to Edinburgh <laughs> just, just way, way way beyond what was necessary but um, <laughs> anyway when I kicked off our series in James uh, in January I drew attention to the, the notes that were the, uh, the header of the ESV um, in the ESV Bible and it makes reference to the fact that James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament it's, it's full of uh, practical instructions on, on how we're to live as Christians it, it addresses works uh, not for work's sake but um, for the fact that they, they demonstrate uh, our faith in God and his work of salvation in us and that's why this series was titled Faith in Action now, I'm not going to recap on all those first chapters, but um, I asked for the final verses of chapter 3 to be read because they are a, a kind of lead-in to, to chapter 4. Uh, verses 13 to 18 of chapter 3 were summed up as um, uh, under a heading of, of Wisdom in Works. That was the title it was looked at um, when that was, was done. And of course it says wisdom from above as a heading in the ESV here. Uh, so wisdom that came from above, it was heavenly, it was godly, it was in contrast to uh, an earthly, unspiritual, de- demonic wisdom. That's what it was, uh, those were the words that were used in verse 15 of chapter 3. And what was the outcome of this earthly wisdom? James says there it was bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and where they existed we were to expect nothing but um, disorder James doesn't mince his word he says he says that we expect nothing but disorder and every vile practice that's what he says in verse 16. And it's these final verses of chapter 3, it's as though James is laying down the ground for the warning, the rebuke that he's about to give to the believers. Now in chapter 4, um, it's headed in my history Bible, Bible, warning against worldliness. And although this message tonight has been billed as uh, submitting and resisting, 
the why and the to whom we are submitting and resisting is only understood by addressing this matter of, of worldliness. I'm going to look at it under under two two heads. So I'm going to look at worldliness, its cause and effects, which we'll find in verses 1 to 4. So it's worldliness, its cause and effects, in verses 1 to 4. And worldliness, its cure, or how to combat it, in verses 7 to 10. So secondly, worldliness, its cure, and how to combat it, verses 7 to 10. Now you might say, hang on a minute, you've missed out verses 5 and 6. I'll call them the bridge, and we'll cross that not-so-straightforward bridge uh, when when we come to it, but uh, I will deal with it. Um, So then. Now, the cigarette packet, if you've seen any these days, and look at them, it says clearly on it, things like smoking damages your health smoking kills smoking clogs the arteries um, all these warnings are on those packets and the smoker says to himself uh, well I'm only a few a day man I'm not that heavy smoker that 40 a day man and he sees himself somewhere on the, uh, the smoker spectrum and he thinks he's safe he thinks well there's, the risk remains um, but he pays no attention to it and slowly but slowly the frequency of his smoking increases and the state of his health decreases and we have here in our passage tonight a health warning it's a spiritual health warning and I may say to myself and I say to you all that worldliness not only can but it will damage our spiritual health now don't turn your minds off tonight as we look at this passage don't think that uh, well because we've come nowhere near the worldly attitudes of the believers here that James writes about uh, because I venture that all of us are somewhere on this worldliness spectrum and we need to be shocked tonight by those extremes of worldliness that we read about and we should bear in mind that the scripture does say that he who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So let me read verses 1 to 4 of, uh, of James. What causes quarrels and fights uh, among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Worldliness. So what what is worldliness? Verse 4 uses the phrase, uh, phrase, well, um, friendship of the world. That is to say we have an inordinate desire to have possessions, money, status, all these things. And our focus is on on the pleasures and wealth of earthly life. And as we shall see, these things can take precedent 
in our lives to the exclusion of God and to the detriment of our relationship with him. And what drives that worldliness? What causes it? James makes it very clear that it's our passions, our passions within us. They're the things that are driving worldliness, or to put it more bluntly, our lusts. Those are the things that are driving worldliness in our lives. Now, being passionate about something isn't necessarily wrong. You might be passionate about knitting or growing vegetables or a particular sport. Uh, I'm passionate about all things aviation, or so it says in my profile on the on the website. Um, and uh, we can derive a lot of enjoyment from, from these things, but they need to have their proper place in our lives. And if ever they become all-consuming uh, of our time and attention, the alarm bells need to be ringing. But here James is specifically challenging the believers about desires for material things and for pleasures that have got totally out of hand. They've got out of hand to the point of, of jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy, even, going back to chapter 3. And that is that earthly and spiritual and demonic wisdom that James uh, describes it as. And it's a far cry from the wisdom that comes from above. And how bad can worldliness get? How bad is it, in whatever degree? Well, it's bad because it's at war with us what James makes it very clear is is it not this your passions which are the, 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 the thing driving our worldliness are at war within you worldliness is out to get the victory worldliness is out to to destroy us and the fact is that sometimes we know it and sometimes in our humanness we can't see the wood from the trees and uh, we probably need others to point it out to us. Worldliness is at war with us. That's our warning for this evening. So, what about those effects? Well, worldliness leads to a breakdown, first in relationship with one another, and it also leads to a breakdown in our relationship with God himself. And we're going to see some of those things that result as a consequence of worldliness that had resulted here in, in the lives of these believers in the church here. Breakdown between our human relationships. Covetousness is one. Verse 2, we read this. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You covet barefaced breaking of the the tenth commandment. That person's got it. I want it. Why shouldn't I have it? It's not fair. I'm going to get it. And fighting and quarrelling ensue among uh, one another, among believers. Now I can't see into your minds and you can't see into mine. But God does. The question we ask ourselves tonight is are we coveting something that someone else has? If only we could learn contentment. To rest content in God's provisions and purposes for us without always making comparison with others. With unbelievers as well as believers. Remember, 
Paul writing to Timothy he says this that godliness with contentment is great gain and Jesus' his own exhortation to his disciples to lay out treasures in heaven and not on earth covetousness is one of the the effects of that worldliness those worldly passions and that is not good because it leads to quarrelling and fighting well that's what James observed in the communities that he was uh, writing to just how it was manifest in those communities we, we can only surmise you know I wonder it's quarrelling quarrelling and fighting I mean did it did it actually come to fisticuffs uh, I don't know um, maybe it did now I'm not aware of any quarrelling or fighting along the roads tonight um, as I look out uh, for you and I sincerely hope that such things will never ever be apparent in, the, in, in Bethel Church but that's how it was that's the extent that's how bad the relationships had got here um, so bad it got to the point of um, well it, it says m- murder but um, I mean I don't believe they were physically murdering one another but maybe murderous thoughts in their minds prevailed and what a barrier to the witness of the church when there's quarrelling and fighting uh, amongst one another these things ought not to be but I mean how was it that uh, this these relationships got so bad this this kind of uh, quarrelling and fighting is coveting what what was underlying it well I venture that maybe it was driven by an unwillingness amongst the believers to to share with one another Um, bad attitude on the part of the haves towards the have nots and leading to a bad feeling on the part of the have nots they do prevail in church don't they those attitudes sadly I think of the writer of the Hebrews when he says that remember to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased maybe if that prevailed there wouldn't have been the coveting there wouldn't have been the quarrelling and the fighting but then it also um, leads to a breakdown in our relationship with, with God it leads to misdirected praying we read that as we we ask and do not receive verse 3 because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions now we have a heavenly father who delights to give good gifts to his children we know that but that does not mean that we're all to receive the same gifts and if the sole purpose of our requests is merely for the gratification of earthly pleasure then we've totally missed the mark, haven't we? What we ask of God should always have some focus on his kingdom, on his glory. And if we have wrong attitudes to this world's goods, to wealth, those things destroy our souls. But note here, God's kindness really in this, he says, you do not have... um, uh, and you, uh, because you do not ask and you, and you ask you do not receive because you ask wrongly you do not receive because you ask wrongly 
in the kindness of God he doesn't give us what we're asking for when we're asking wrongly um, I think it's a measure of God's kindness here to spare us from ever further decline uh, degenerating into ever uh, greater state of worldliness he declines giving us what we're asking for how careful we need to be when we pray perhaps we always ought to be asking ourselves what is my motives when I'm asking God for this or that or or the other what is my motive is it purely my own self-interest and pleasure and then James says that breakdown in our relationship with with God is further um, identified by he uses the phrase you adulterous people verse 4 Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to make, uh, (coughs) wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We're enemies. That's, that's what worldliness brings about between us and God. We've talked about passions being at war in us. Worldliness is at war in us. It's, a, it's out to destroy us. But we don't realise that the same language of war is being used here to describe the relationship we have with God. We are now at war with God if we're totally uh, absorbed in our worldliness. That language of, of, uh, of fighting is used here. That's such a sad, sad state to be in. So, we must ask ourselves, we must search our hearts tonight. Are we misdirected in our praying? Are we too friendly with the world? Remember the, the, that adulterous people, that phrase, it, it comes up again and again, doesn't it, in the Old Testament? Um, the scriptures refer to Israel, God's chosen people, turning from God to idolatry. Their focus is turned to earthly man-made things instead of God their maker. Uh, they, their conduct is likened to, to those who go after prostitutes. And so this is the same uh, picture that's uh, here of the believers who've gone after the worldliness, gone after worldly things. No better than the Israel of old an adulterous people just how adulterous are we and now we come to what I call the bridge verses 5 and 6 let me read them or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us but he gives more grace Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Two quotations here, or seemingly two quotations. Um, We think, oh, the scripture says there must be chapter and verse here for us to look at. Um, Well, there's no problem with with the latter quote. Um, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. that's in the Old Testament scripture in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 34 and, and Peter in his letter, first letter, alludes to that. What about 
that first quote, he, he, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. Well, the scholars have yet to find any chapter and verse that, uh, that cites that as a, as a quote from, from scripture. So we have a, a bit of a problem here, but it's obviously, um, the theme or, or, or tenor of scripture is what's being implied here. But let me just read you uh, one or two other uh, Bible translations. That was the ESV we read. Um, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. This is what uh, the New King James says. Do you think that the scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Or the NIV says this. Do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us all seem to be in that same theme but scholars are quite divided about what this passage means and I went and looked at the AV which just made things a bit more confusing (laughs) (laughs) not only the language but (laughs) it says the spirit that dwell in us lusteth to envy and then I turned up the New Living Translation, and it says, what do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit has, that God has placed in us is filled with envy? Oh, goodness. And I, <laughs> you, scratch, you scratch your head on that. And uh, it hangs or falls on how you understand the jealousy. But let me just say thing. First, two observations. I'm trying to get too bogged down in this because I already read line loads of stuff out. <laughs> but... Um, First two observations. One is that, that James is implying that the scriptures, the scriptures here are saying something that has purpose to them. He says, do you think the scriptures say to no purpose or in vain? So there has to be some, something that's helpful here about what this verse is saying. And it has to be a general theme that he's appealing to that would, will be quite clear in the Old Testament scriptures. Those are two observations. And having... It might have been helpful to pull those different translations up on the screen, but I haven't. But having read all those different translations, we see that there are actually two paths of thought here. Either it is simply a statement about jealousy or envy in human nature, and I'm not sure that there's any specific purpose in that being stated here, or it's a statement about God's jealousy, God's jealous longing for his people. And then I think it does have purpose. And it's a theme that we do find throughout Old Testament scriptures. And remembering here that this verse follows on with verse 6, which says that uh, it gives more grace. It, it's linked to, to God's grace. Well, that might be... Uh, follow on either of those two thoughts but um, my preference and I'm going to run with this and uh, I stand to be corrected by by anyone who is, is more scholarly but my preference is this because I find more purpose in it and it's the latter one that it's, it's about God's jealousy God's, God's jealous longing for his people because God's jealousy is not one of resentment and envy, it's about a desire for preservation and well-being. And we've got believers here 
who have got into all manner of problems and difficulties and breakdowns of relationships. I think James is reminding them here that in spite of this state they find themselves in, there is a God who is jealously looking out for them or wanting them to turn back to him as we will we will see later. So I take encouragement from that and it's simply this, that, that, that God's love his exceeding great love abides irrespective of this dreadful state the believers have found, have got themselves into. And just by way of thinking about God's longing, God's, God's jealousy and the theme in the Old Testament scriptures let me just read you some verses from, from Zechariah, prophet Zechariah and this is what the prophet said, so the angel who talked with me, this is Zechariah 1 verse 14, the angel who talked with me said, cry out thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion and verse Zechariah 8 verses 2 and 3 Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called my faithful city. God's jealousy, uh, here, here jealousy is a love that's heightened to a very high degree of compassion or as Matthew Paul puts it in his commentary, it's a passion of a, of a lover, of, of a husband, where, where love and care and anger are all expressed there towards the beloved to the highest degree. Um, and it's not hurtful to that person. It's seeking to protect them. It's seeking their well-being. And if we are Christians, we are Christians here tonight, we have God's Spirit dwelling in us. What the verse says here. Uh, he yearns jealousy over the Spirit he's made to dwell in us. We are new men and women. Our old nature prevails though. We know that. And God has a great longing for us to be the people he wants us to be, for bringing glory to him. By his grace... By his undeserved kindness, we've been granted saving faith in Jesus and our sins have been forgiven. We're declared righteous. We know that. But we sin. But every day, God goes on extending more and more grace towards us. He gives and forgives and forgives again to help us in our fight against sin. So we've got believers here in a really messed up, way of life but they are reminded God is yearning for that spirit in us, he's yearning for them to come back to him he's yearning to forgive them and pour out more and more grace upon them but he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble when the children of Israel adulterous children of Israel time and time they turned their back on God to serve idols God abhorred that he called them over and over again to return to him return to me, return to me uh, 
and in his love he draws them back to himself and I think this is what James is trying to say here God wants us to turn back to him and so we come to the cure for worldliness our combating worldliness and it necessitates action on our part let me read verses 7 to 10 submit yourselves therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to God and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded be wretched and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exhort you two uh, two actions on our part here submitting and resisting submitting to God submit yourselves therefore to God what does that submitting look like on our part well it's not it is not a giving up and letting God take control in keeping us from our worldliness we're not passive in that God is a great God of grace grace to cover all our sin as the hymn writer to Jesus love of my soul puts it vile and full of sin I am thou art full of truth and grace plenteous grace with thee is found grace to cover all my sins so submitting begins with repentance we have to come in humility before God and acknowledge our sin, our worldliness and his forgiveness his grace is granted to the humble and not the proud and did you notice all those repentant actions that were listed there in in verses 8 and 9 cleanse your hands purify your hearts be wretched, mourn, weep no laughing or joy because of a deep conviction of sin all of those things are part of that repentant action in our coming in humility before God and we have this assurance don't we that uh, it says that uh, verse verse 8 draw near to God and he will draw near to you we'd find it so much easier wouldn't we if uh, the promises came before the commands um, if to begin with somehow we had a, a real vivid sense of, of God's presence with us uh, and, and a joy in him wouldn't we find it so much easier to keep daily time with him we would but that's not God's way we have to draw near to God first that's a a step on our part and then God will draw near to us we need to take time uh, to be holy so that's part of our winning the war against worldliness submitting humbly to God in, in repentance and being very close relationship with him but then it says in verse uh, second part of verse 7 resist the devil and he will flee from you now just because we have drawn near to God uh, we're not to expect a kind of a cosy up safe secure place no act of, of consecration to God ever takes conflict out of our Christian lives 
we are in a, a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. And the devil, as we know, as Peter says, is always going about. He's that roaring lion seeking to devour us. And we are charged to resist him and his temptations. We're not taking the battle to him as such. We're manning the defences at, at, at all costs. But we can fight him with a confidence. We can fight him to the point of him giving up his attack and fleeing. At face value, that's what James says here. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, I'll be honest with you and I expect you to be honest with yourselves. That's not always my experience. Maybe it's not always your experience too. Uh, And I know why and I think we all know why. That is, it's because the first stage of the war isn't is being neglected. The first stage of the war against worldliness is being neglected. We haven't been drawing near to God in the way that we ought. We haven't been sensitive and repentant towards the sin in our lives. We need to be very deliberate in cultivating our fellowship with God. I mentioned that little phrase: "Take time to be holy." Some of you will know that that lovely old hymn says take time to be holy speak oft with thy Lord abide him in it always and feed on his word take time to be holy the world rushes on spend much time in secret with Jesus alone take time to be holy and be calm in your soul each thought each motive beneath his control draw near to God he will draw near to you and so then resist the devil and he will flee from us. We sang this morning, if you were here in church, didn't we? The, um, oh soul, uh, are you weary and troubled? And the lovely refrain, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. The worldliness, all our temptations to worldliness will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And we have a lovely promise in <coughs> verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. If we seek humbly to come before our God, he will lift us up. He lifts us up out of that, that crushing sense of sin as we repent and he forgives us. He raises us up. He exalts us. And as our focus is on him, as our thoughts are exalted to higher places, higher things, so we will begin uh, and we will win the fight against worldliness in our lives. So in concluding, let me just say tonight, let's not be blind to our worldliness, where we are on that worldliness spectrum. And let's desire, let's seek God, let's pray that we'll be victors in that fight against it. Let's be earnest about it. And we're going to sing in our closing hymn, uh, <coughs> Jesus the name high over all. We, we, we sing there, how devils fear and fly before the name of God. We bear the name Christian because we are followers of Jesus. We stand in his strength. And devils will fear and fly before him.
He's the one who has granted us the victory. He's the one that speaks power, gives power to strengthless souls. That's how we might feel sometimes in our fight against worldliness. Um, and we can experience and know the riches of his grace and the arms of love that encompass us. Those, that yearning that we read about, that he yearns for us uh, to be in fellowship with him and not, uh, as it were, an enemy of him because we are pursuing uh, the devil's own desires for us. Well, let's pray uh, before we come and sing. Father God, we we thank you that the scriptures uh, not only are they there for our encouragement, they are there for our warning, Lord. There is such a warning in this passage. And Lord, we as we, as we saw the extent to which some of your children had fallen in their, their sinfulness, Lord, we we would not be presumptuous, Lord, we we would pray, Lord, help us to be watchful, Lord, help us to be careful, help us to be looking to you always. Lord, may our sights be on heaven and its glory and the, all the treasures that are there for us. Lord, help us not to be consumed with a desire for things of this world, even those things that are legitimate and good and, and to be enjoyed Lord help them to have the right place in our lives and Lord help us to be content with the things that you've given us help us to be a, be a people that uh, are willing to share with others and Lord as we do that certainly that temptation to covet may be removed so Lord God we ask for your help Lord help us daily as we seek to draw near to you and Lord may we know your power at work in us so Lord give us the victory we pray in Christ for we ask this in Jesus name Amen